You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Yes, hello and welcome to the very first episode of the ESPN AFL podcast. My name is Matt Walsh and I'll be your host for the next half hour or so. Each week I'll be joined by three of footy's brightest minds as we discuss the big issues in the AFL. Joining me on is ESPN.com.au's footy writer Jake Michaels. Welcome along. G'day Matt, how are you doing? Associate editor of the website, Neil Seawang, how are you? Hello, I'm very well and I'm excited to be here. And we've got a very special guest this and every week from Champion Data, it's Christian Jolly. Welcome along. Thanks Matt, great to be here. Well, the AFL is back. It's been a long season, off-season for fans and journos alike, I know, but uh, I know I watched a bit of cricket. Jake, you've been at the F1s, how was that? Yeah, it was very good covering that for, for ESPN F1. Always, always a good weekend, if busy. Um, but yeah, pretty excited for football to be back this weekend. Neil, what have you been up to over the summer? To be honest, a little bit more family time, being able to see a bit more of my uh, wife and, and child, not uh, having to cover football so so closely. So, uh, But I am excited that the AFL is, is pretty much just around the corner. And Christian, you've been keeping yourself busy, I'm sure, in uh, at, uh, at uh, Champion Data HQ? Yeah, we've uh, actually been covering AFLW for the last seven weeks, so we've been in footy mode for quite a while now. There's no rest for, for Champion Data. <laughs> Correct. No off-season. Well, if we think uh, we've had a tough waiting for the AFL to return, spare a thought for the players who have uh, been out and about really training since about mid-November through the summer heat and whatnot. So, in fact, you know what? We've actually polled some of the captains. We're at Captain's Day, uh, uh, was it last week now? On Friday. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we we asked them just what the hardest session of the pre-season actually was. About a week in, we went over and did a hill session. Um, I was pretty much rolling down the hill by the end of it, (laughs) trying not to faint. Rolled my ankle about four times. Just been so cooked, so... Um, yeah, we did a heel session in some serious heat up on the coast, so that probably be the hardest one I've done. This year, uh, the single hardest session would probably be a three and a half hour, four hour skill session um, with running in between, and it was about 40 degrees that day, I think, so I'm glad all that's over and behind us. Yeah, one of the we had a full training session, then we had to do some breakdown, one-on-one sort of competitive work, so... Um, it was supposed to go for six minutes. It went for about 20 minutes, and it was just one-on-one physical tackles, um, ground balls, just ultra-competitive. So it wasn't much running, but it was just sort of wore the body down. That was pretty tough. Uh, I, on the weekend just gone, I did a match simulation because I wasn't playing, which was 11 Ks of um, repeat fartlek with push-ups, ground balls, repeat leads, uh, and sprints. So basically made me throw up. <laughs> That was Jared Witz, Jack Zebel, Scott Penderbury and Nat Fife you just heard from. And uh, we're going to transition into our very first segment, which is called Three on Three. It's time for Three on Three. Yes, our very first segment of the year where we spend three minutes on three of the hottest topics from each week. Neil, I'm going to kick it off with you, with you if I can, please. Uh, now that JLT football is behind us, has the top four been decided before the year has even begun? Well, it hasn't been decided, but I think it's basically locked in. The top four from last year, the four prelim finalists, they all look significantly stronger from their off-seasons. You look at the Eagles gaining uh, Gaff, Shepard and, and Nick Nat eventually. You look at the Pies adding Beams, uh, Healthy, Moore and Elliot. Obviously, the Ds have got uh, Stephen May and Jake Lever back uh, mid-year potentially. And the Tigers have got the biggest off-season name uh, recruit uh, uh, in Tom Lynch. So you add all those players to those teams and they already look significantly stronger. And I just can't see any other team bridging the gap. I'd like to really quickly make a case for Adelaide. I think uh, last year when they finished 12th, a bit of an aberration on their part. They had a pretty shocking off-season, uh, but they'll be getting back a couple of players as well. You look at Brody Smith, who's made big impact in JLT already. Um, uh, and you, the likes of Wayne Miller, who moved to half-back and just 
look exactly that's exactly where he needs to play um, and I think that if they win their home games as they probably should and, and and sneak a couple on the road as well I think they are well in contention of being a top four side possibly at the, at the expense of Melbourne I think um, they might have overachieved in making a prelim last year but um, we'll see I'm, I'm sure Jake? yeah when you look at the top four uh, from last year it's difficult I, I honestly don't see anyone else really going in but as you say Adelaide have looked strong the Giants are another one. I think people are too quick to write off the Giants each year. Um, they obviously started quite slowly last year with a lot of injuries. But when they got some key players back, they started to rise up the ladder and were a threat uh, when it came to finals. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the, the Giants rise again. Um, top four, it might be tricky, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were thereabouts. Yeah, I just think we've got to remember, round 19 last year, uh, there was three games between second and 11th. So Essendon was sitting in 11th place with still a chance to get second on the ladder. <laughs> Uh, I think only Richmond at that stage were guaranteed to make finals at round 19. So coming off one of the most seasons we've ever seen. Um, so I think there's plenty of teams that could crack into the top four. Uh, the one I've looked at is Essendon. I really thought Essendon uh, had a good off-season. Obviously, if Joe Danaher was coming back fit was the uh, initial thinking, adding, mm. adding D- Dylan Sheil into the midfield. The one problem I've seen, though, through Essendon during the JLTs, they're still scoring from back half a little bit too much, which was their issue in the first half of last year, and it's probably something they need to fix up going forward. So do we think... Out of the, the big four, if you want to call them that, the prelim finalists of last year, who's the most vulnerable, do we think, at this Melbourne. point? Melbourne. I think the Ds, yeah. I think um, it's hard to see them replicate. I think, look, Jesse Hogan's a, a big loss uh, in terms of the structure because it allowed Tom McDonald to take possibly the second defender some weeks. Did Melbourne play at their best last year? I feel like the other three can get better. I, I don't know about Melbourne. I, I feel like Melbourne were, were peaking last year. Of course, the, the individual players will get better as they get older. And more experienced, but I feel like as a team they sort of played at their highest level. That's hard to judge, isn't it? I mean, the the core of Melbourne is quite young, so there should be a natural progression. There should be room to improve for them. But I must admit, as as a Melbourne supporter, I was a little bit concerned through the JLT that we were making the same mistakes um, as a supporter that we uh, that the club made in the in their losses last season. So. Um, the JLT, sometimes you read too much into it, but I, I didn't like some of the signs that I saw. But I, I disagree that Melbourne play, has peaked as a, as a team. But we're happy with Collingwood and West Coast being part of that top four? And Richmond. And, and Richmond. Pretty comfortable. All right, well, why don't we move on to our next segment? Uh, now that we've had a chance to watch plenty of JLT games, Jake, arguably too many. <laughs> Way too many. <laughs> um, now that we've had a, had a look at these uh, new rules, the 666, the relaxed hands in the back, the new kick-in rules, do we think it's going to make a big impact, Christian? Well, the two, I mean, rules that were really going to make a statistical impact were the kick-in rule and the 666 setup at centre bounces. So they've actually gone two ways in the JLT. The centre bounce rule's actually working. It's improving scoring from centre bounces. Uh, so s- scoring from centre bounce going up to 24%, so almost one in four centre bounce clearances you score from. Inside 50 rates at 73%, which is above 4% above where we were last year. And we're seeing about 14 points per game kick from centre bounces, which is up from nine last year. So definitely more uh, impact on the scoreboard from centre bounces. The interesting one is kick-ins has gone the complete opposite way. So kick-ins is actually getting, uh, you've got the extra 10, 15 metres. You don't have to kick into yourself mm. from the square anymore, which you know should lead to probably more attacking chains being created from kick-ins. Uh, it's actually getting harder to score, harder to get the ball inside 50, and even harder just to win possession in your forward half from a kick-in from the two weeks of JLT so far. So that's an interesting number probably uh, going against what the AFL thought it would. Surely that's because coaches 
look at new rules. When new rules are brought in to make the game more attacking, the first thing the coaches are going to do are going to say, how can we defend this? So it kind of doesn't surprise me. It's a bit harder with the 6-6-6 rule when you've got such an open midfield. And we saw examples of players streaking forward and getting inside 50s and uncontested marks in the forward line, etc. But when you can block up space like in the back half, I think that's what coaches have probably looked at doing in terms of the kick-ins, making it harder for teams to just sort of waltz down the middle and score. I, I agree, and I, I, I must admit I'm an unabashed fan of trying to make these changes. Congestion for me is a blight on the game, and I love the fact that the AFL is trying to do something to uh, create more one-on-ones and trying to create more space for the best players to, to uh, excite and, and display their wares. So I'm, I'm really hoping that it, that it does um, reduce that rolling mall that you see as a fan, uh, just all the players on the ground just following the ball. I don't know if you ever get rid of that completely. It's going to be difficult, but I love the fact that they're going to actually try and make make a start on trying to limit congestion. Maybe the first few weeks. But again, coaches, whatever the AFL says, the coaches are going to want to defend. And they're not going to want... The coaches don't, don't want 100 points of course kicked not. against them. Fans yeah. might, but the, the last thing a coach wants is for them to have to score 120 when another sc- team has scored 110. And while we might see an improved standard of play in the first five, six weeks, I think coaches are going to work out pretty quickly how to defend things like 6-6-6. And we've, we've already seen aspects of it where players on the wing will line up right on that defensive point at half-back and sort of sprint back and clog up the space. So even if the other team does get a quick center clearance the space is still um, taken up by a defender and you're not going to get that easy mark inside 50 look I'm a little bit skeptical I actually don't mind the, the game I didn't mind the game last year but I think coaches are a bit smarter than what, what the AFL gives them credit for so it's just my opinion the, the one rule change that we haven't mentioned um, for me which might make the biggest impact is actually the the runners the the crackdown on runners um, you've had Luke Hodge and um, various other um, senior um people across the AFL landscape that have been really strong in their um, dislike of this rule. I think it's going to make it very, very difficult for younger teams to to plan and defend and structure up. And I think that's going to make a, a, a big difference between the experienced clubs that have all those those experienced players across each line and, and the young teams. All right, team, it's time to lay it all on the line with round one now on our doorstep. Let's hear your big call for the year. Will you end up looking like a genius or much like Fraser Anning with egg on your face? Neil, would you like to kick us off? I'm happy to kick us off. Yep, this could be a lot of egg on the face, but (laughs) my big call for this year is Mason Cox, by the end of the year, will be regarded as one of the elite key forwards in the league. Gee, off one good game in a final? People forget... You've been you've been watching that AFL video, though. (laughs) That was that was a lovely production, but was an excellent production. I I. People forget that he's basically a fourth-year player. Mason Cox's first game was in 2016. He's showed what he could do in that prelim final. He's shown glimpses elsewhere. He's got weapons that other key forwards don't have. And but being a third or fourth-year player, it's almost like if you disagree and think that he's reached his limit, it's like saying Sam Wiedemann can't improve or it's like saying Harry Mackay can't improve as a third or fourth-year key forward. So... He's, I think the sky's the limit for him. He's certainly going to have a lot of opportunity. I mean, Collingwood's probably got one of the best midfielders we've ever seen. I mean, you look at all the... They're, they're stacked, so the ball will be going in there enough. Um, if he gets a few free kicks, he could, he could kick a kick, a kick 50 he's goals. He's a fourth-year player, as you say, but he's also 28. I mean, at what point do you... you you've hit, I mean, you always talk about the peak of a, a player's career be, being between that sort of 24 to 29 range. He's I mean, an outlier, though. He doesn't. He's not following the he's same He's also path, very, yeah. very big. He's 211 big centimetres. I mean, these blokes aren't the most... They don't With have good the most too. longevity in the game. Oh, look, I'd be surprised, but it's a big call, and that's what we're here for. Christian, have you got a big call for us? Uh, my big call is probably... I can start off with a little call. Gold Coast will win a game this year, um, so I don't know how big a call that is, but I'll, I'll actually extend that and say they'll win a game in the first four rounds. So they play St Kilda round one, Frio at home in round two, Bulldogs round three, and then Carlton at home in round four. 
Obviously, won't start favourites in any of those games, but I just think if we're going to see Gold Coast win a game the first four weeks... We had our, we had our team previews uh, throughout the week, and Neil, I think you touched on the Gold Coast Suns, and you pretty much had them also winning one in the winning first Winning one four. of their first four, and, and if they don't, they're in huge trouble, because that is a reasonably soft opening month. Um, and They should really be wanting to win two of those. They should, really. Carlton, Fremantle, they're, they're not... They're not the hardest games, I've got to say. St Kilda as well. St Kilda as well. Yeah, they, I, I agree. I think they should probably win one or maybe two. Would Jake, it be, wouldn't it be great if, if, if the Suns won five or six this oh, year? Well, I mean... Probably not, because that means Carlton will get the spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, Jake, would you like to make your big call, please, for round one? Uh, for the year. Yeah, look, it's something that you guys probably have heard me talking about quite a fair bit around the office, but um, I'm a big fan of Lockie Neal, and I'm going to go out and say he's going to win the Brownlow this year. You are very, very strong on Lockie Neal, aren't you? Ever since you spoke to him in the off-season, you've been drinking drinking the Kool-Aid on Lockie Neal? No. I, look, I won't toot my own horn, but I picked Tom Mitchell to win it last year. And Lockie Neal's a similar type player. He, he's a he's a high-volume possession winner. He tackles well. He can kick goals. People people don't see him as a goal kicker. He's a smart footballer. Gone to a new club. Look at the last few Brownlow medalists. Tom Mitchell moved to a new club. Uh Dusty Martin, well, he was at Richmond, but Dangerfield moved to a new club. Yep. You know, you're getting guys that move to a new club, get a fresh start. I wouldn't be surprised to see him really high up on Brownlow night and win it. We'll probably so, call that a me- medium call from you. A medium call? Not a huge call from Jake. Certainly his consistency is admirable. He probably doesn't have the highlights packages of the players you just mentioned, but every single game he's, he's playing... Is he a better player than Tom Mitchell? No. Would you have said that 12 months ago? Because 12 months ago, people were saying Tom Mitchell was a B-grade player. Oh, that, I don't that, think they were no. saying he was a B grade. Player. I think people were saying, saying B grade or just a not, you know, a, a he doesn't damage player. you. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't damage you. Yeah, I see. I, that's a fair I, call. I completely disagree with that. How can he not damage you? I mean, he's a, he's proven that wrong. He's he proven does that wrong. You. If you're getting fifty possessions a game or forty possessions a game, averaging that, you're damaging someone. He's not turning it over forty so times. We've had a bit of a joke in the office that you don't want to reach fifty disposals. Gary Ablett reached it in about 2013, playing with Gold Coast against Collingwood, and the whole week of it was just narrative about how little impact Gary Ablett yeah. has, how many cheap. If he has forty nine possessions, Nathan Correct. Buckley doesn't go in the press conference and say and, and talk about Correct, it. Correct. You know? Yeah, forty seven disposals is a gun game. Fifty disposals is all oh, you've done a bit too much. <laughs> you've been, you've been yeah. stat padding. Very good. All right, uh, my my big call for the year. I don't think a coach will get fired this year. I think there was a big question marks over someone like Alan Richardson prior to what's happened at St Kilda. I mean, you look at Dylan Robert and Paddy McCartan. Um, there's been Jake Carlisle, Jake Carlisle questions Dan about Hanabry. Dan Hanabry. Um, I think he's just about gotten out. And now that he's got some good assistance behind him uh, in Ratton and I think Laid is there as well, I think, I think St Kilda are willing to back Richo for at least the next couple of years. The, the problems he's faced this pre-season, you can see that as a buffer and the fact that he's got a bit of an out clause if things go pear-shaped, but it also can just add significant pressure. If they're 1-12 after 13 rounds and Brett Ratton, who's you know looks like he's a really well-polished um, possibly should, see, should senior, be a senior, senior coach, coach candidate. The irony would be he's right there. The irony would be he lost his job just before they played St Kilda and St Kilda beat them. Funny so, uh, and look, anyway, um, but uh, look, not just Richo. I think Brendan Bolton. I think the Blues will do enough to make sure that he keeps his job. I think Hinkley's invested in the draft at Port Adelaide, and that's bought him another year. I think if if all goes sort of well for each club, I don't think Stewie Jew's going to get the sack. Um, I don't think there will be a coaching a major. Um, head coaching change over the over the pre over the the end of, by the end of the season. The thing, even if rather. even if the Suns don't win a game, I mean, it's it obviously depends how it goes, but it's hard to see him getting the sack. I mean, how can he get the sack with with what he's what he's got to work with? You know, it's difficult. All right, well, uh, let's move on. How about stat with Champion Data? 
Yes, this is the chance for Christian to shed some light on some of the most amazing, damning or alarming stats from the JLT series and heading into round one. So what has caught the eyes of the nerds down at Champion Data HQ over the preseason? Thanks, Matt. Uh, so <laughs> we're looking a little bit at, again, JRT. How much do you read too much into it? Uh, personally, I sort of look more player performances rather than team performances. It's hard to gauge what a team, how much they're really trying and what structures they're really bringing to the table. Uh, so just some of the individual highlights so far or from the JLT, the two weeks of the JLT. Uh, looked at the top four metres gain players. Uh, some pretty big names in there. So Angus Brayshaw, third in the Brownlow medal, uh, was number one for metres gained across the JLT series, which is helped by his 1,062 metres gained in his first game. That seems extraordinary. Is yep. that a lot? Uh, it is only the fifth time that figure's been reached since 2013. And this was in and the JLT game? In 69%. 69%. That's the most game. impressive thing. I mean, he would have been on track for 13, 1400. And that was against Richmond. And that was a warm day in Shepparton, if, yeah. I, if I remember yeah. correctly. That's Correct. incredible. Uh, and then the names that follow him on the stats for the, uh, across the two weeks. Sidebottom was second for metres gain. He was second in the Brownlow. Dom they, they really, they really like the meters gain. These umpires, uh, Dangerfield won a Brownlow, and he's a big meters gain guy. And those two, second and third in the Brownlow, and they're, yeah. they're doing it again. Yeah. Uh, so probably one you could probably expect to do well in the Brownlow this year is Dom Sheed was third in the uh, meters gain for JLT, and fourth was Brody Smith. So some pretty important names there. Brody Smith, obviously the big one for Crows fans. He's uh, really going to change their fortunes this year after only playing two games last year. He's a real forgotten man, Brody Smith. They've got he? some weapons across halfback. The Crows. I'm yeah. so excited by him. I think he. he he came back and played two games late last year. Um, the first game was just getting back accustomed to it, and then the second game was 28 touches, and he started to look like he hadn't missed a beat. So I think in JLT as well this year, he was he was exceptional. So they'll be looking to him to sort of provide a lot of run and bounce and carry out of back out of the backline. He and Laird, yeah. and um, they've got so many, and Miller, all those Athens. those fast, great kicks. Yep, so just on uh, Wayne Miller, so I actually looked at him. He had a disposal efficiency of 94% from 49 touches, which is number one of the top 50 ball winners. So again, you've got Wayne Wayne Miller using the ball so well off halfback, Brody Smith gaining the metres, so Adelaide look uh, quite set from a good JLT. Um, a couple of individual uh, a couple of individual highlights from you know changing positions, which is uh, Caleb Daniel for the, for the Bulldogs, moved to halfback about round 16, 17 last year. Played there in his two JLT games and was involved in 34% of the Bulldogs scoring chains, which ranked number one at the club. So that's your halfback sort of leading the way on the scoreboard, and that's just Caleb Daniel, so creative. With How it does that does. rank, like, um, AFL-wide? Uh, so that was, he put him into the top five or ten, depending, again, looking whether you include everyone that played two games versus yeah. the one game, but he did play both games and was sort of right up there. He's an he's impressive re- player. He's in- reinvented himself, I was going to say. He found he himself has. out of favour there a little bit because he went through that midfield. I think the Dogs have got a strong enough midfield that the, the change was kind of forced on him, but credit to Caleb Daniel, he's sort of taken it and on also board. credit to the coaching staff. What a what an absolutely courageous... Speaking of bold, bold... Yeah, words. exactly. Yeah. A, a guy of his stature that's holding down a, a half-back slot, he's obviously creative, makes good decisions, but the the risk reward nature of that decision when he must he must be in danger of getting outmarked a lot as well. So. Especially now that 666 six, 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 is, is so coming what in. A, what a great one to keep an eye on. I'd almost go as far as saying that he would be top three or four in the league for 15 to 30 metre kicks. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's one of the best short kicks going I, around. I don't think he wastes the disposal at all if you sort of watch him play. Uh, another player that sort of probably goes under the radar has been around for a while, Mitch Brown at Essendon. He had a mm-hmm. career best year last year, probably didn't get enough credit uh, for the season he had, but he finished the JLT series as number one for scoreboard impact. So that's combining your value from goals behinds plus your score assists. Uh, so he basically had impact of 50 points on the scoreboard for Essendon across the two JLT games. Again, just probably Joe Danaher in the news, you know, might miss the start of the season with injury. 
Um, Jake Stringer has obviously got the big profile. Mm. Sean McKernan mm. did get a fair, uh, fair bit of credit last year, which Can't is well deserved. Forward either. Mitch Brown is probably the one he's that no one ever no one ever focuses on. And he is a pure kick of the footy. I mean, he if you ever get to, to watch an Essendon game and you don't watch many, watching Mitch Brown kick the footty, it is one of the, he's the best weird. It, it doesn't look like he will, he'll kick them from 50 dead straight. It doesn't even look like he's trying to kick through it. He's a, he's a ripper, uh, Mitch Brown. So one to keep an eye on, uh, especially as the Bombers are in a bit of a pickle with their forward options. Yep. And as I said, looking at JRT, you don't read too much into team uh, stats, but probably one that's been highlighted or as a highlight to me or a low light is North Melbourne's defence across the JLT. So they only conceded 47 inside 50s per game, which was the third fewest of any team. But when the opposition got it in there, uh, North Melbourne were conceding a score from 59% of entries, which was actually 7% worse than the next worst ranked team. Wow. And 15% above competition average. So usually you can see the score 44% of inside 50s. They were doing it from 59%. Jeez. So, so they're, Oh, clearly, they're doing a good job up the ground of keeping the ball out of their defence. But once it gets in there, it's quite leaky, is what you're Correct, saying. Correct. Yeah, they've just so. been hit hit pretty hard by injuries, wow. to, to, especially to their back line this, so. this summer. So and in round round one, they'll be without Scott Thompson, without Robbie Tarrant. Possibly. So, so I mean, they had Scott Thompson playing in the JLT, and they had Marley Williams. I'm not sure of Marley Williams' fitness, but he did. He sort he of did, hurt he his did calf, hurt a calf, didn't he? Yeah. Late in the second week. So if they're without Thompson and. Uh, Marley Williams on top of that. And and Magic after his breakout year last year. You know, you know. Yeah, he was excellent down back, so that's a, another big loss. Yeah. They're an interesting one, North, because they could slip from mid-pack to, to the bottom four. And it's, it's, we were talking about coaches before, but there's this pressure on Brad Scott. Yeah, there is. I Look, there are many in the media and around the traps that have North rising up and possibly taking that last I'm putting my hand, up, putting you're, my hand you're, up here. I'm reasonably on bullish on them, yeah. I think, I think they are in real danger of dropping into that sort of that bottom six. I, I um, can see them... I can easily see them in the bottom. That's a six. damning stat. The fact that once, if if you it's get JLT a team like though. it's JLT, yes, it is JLT. But you look at some of the teams that are vying for top eight spots. They are offensive dynamos like Adelaide, Essendon, trying to get the ball in. If they get the ball in, if if what what happens, you're putting in 140 JLT, points on them. 100. percent They'll yeah, be. That, but uh, as we've spoken about um, off air, the the pressure in JLT is down significantly compared to um, home and away matches and finals. So. I think things will change uh, once there's more pressure on the But it's about standards, isn't it? It's about standards. Like you got to you got to set some standards in defence. You're not, I don't you're not swanning you can... through JLT trying to let 100 points in. Like... That's true. But look, maybe it's a medium call for me. I can <laughs> I introduce next week. I think North will play finals, and I think they might win one. Maybe we wow. can have a, a segment of uh, light, medium, and hard calls every week <laughs> and see where we land. But I think it's uh, it's time to move on. Thank you very much, Christian from Champion Data. I've had a gutful. So I think this may well end up being my favourite segment on the podcast. Uh, to set some context for those that don't know, and he's smiling at me right now, <laughs> our beloved co-worker Jake Michaels loves a rant every Monday morning. After the weekend's action, he'll come in to the office and set up his desk, and before long he'll be chewing your ear off about some issue with the upfield line or some rule interpretation in the AFL, and it's gold. So we thought we'd give him a segment on the pod. Jake, what have you had a gutful of this week? Firstly, the upfield line is the worst line on the Metro, so we don't need to go into that. <laughs> Look, I wanted to start off with something a little bit light, uh, not go too full on, but I tell you what, there's something that really I want to get off my chest. I've absolutely had a gutful of this nonsense with the AFL wanting to persist with a daytime grand final. Whoa, going against the grain, like it? I don't understand why it needs to stay like this. It's time the AFL made the bold decision to move it to not only twilight, which is what they refused to do earlier in the week. They need to move this to a night game. If, uh, if seven ten start, seven ten or six forty starts in that in that bracket there. This needs to be a night game. So you you want shadows on the ground before the balls bounce? Absolutely, yellow footies, yellow footies, yellow footies. It, it, it has to be. 
Now, a lot of people will say, why does it need a change? Think of the spectacle. And I'm not talking about the game. You look back at 2018's grand final. A lot of people say it was one of the best grand finals I've ever seen. It was. Incredible yeah. game. Incredible. We, we, the three of us were together watching it, and we couldn't believe it. We, we were in awe watching the last few minutes. I'm not talking about the game. You play that game at 2.30 or 7.10, that game remains the same. That's as good as it will be. I'm talking about the stuff around the game. The spectacle, how it looks on television. And you've got to remember, yes, there's 100,000 people at the ground. There's millions of people around the world watching it on TV. Oh, you, why, you, why are we catering to the millions around the world and not those that Because you want to grow the game. You don't want this game. This game is primarily a Victorian game. You want to grow this not only in Australia, but you want to grow this around the world. And people will say, why do you need to? Every sport wants to grow. Well, not, not to expand and have a team playing in the US, but to have fans in the US that want to watch and to have fans in Europe that want to watch, not just Australian expats. This is really important for the AFL to do. Well, you were also saying, Jake, that um, the AFL is one of the very, very few that have their showpiece game during the day rather than at night. So. Well, it is. If you look at the, the Australian sporting landscape, you look at the A-League, you look at the NRL, Super Rugby, they're all at night. They're all at night, all these games, you know? I mean, Super Bowl is obviously the one that gets compared to a lot, but every other international sport that I can think of is, is also... They're all at night. night. Well, the every- Super Bowls are and, and late afternoon start. So right? why not, why not but, compromise? Yeah. I, my opinion is, why not compromise and have it at around about 5 o'clock? Have a Twilight Grand Final first, dip your toe in the water, and if you like it, maybe you can go on with it. Neil, do you have any thoughts? One, one. I've got. I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent about the start time. I, I, I'm wondering why there's so much debate about uh, whether the AFL should turn one way or the other or stick with tradition when there's an opportunity to to trial it. Why don't they just that try they something be. one year and come out and be honest and say yeah. we're going to see what happens and what the reaction is. And if it doesn't work, it's not a permanent thing. If it doesn't work, we go back right. to what we've done in the past. Christian, Let me just champion data. Have any uh, <laughs> stats no, on? No, we don't. <laughs> Night grand final. Yeah, and it's probably been one of those things I've been listening for the last week or two and just thinking. Does it really matter? Just as long as there's a grand final yes, for me, and as long as the two best teams are in there, that's uh, that's all where I'm coming from. So, again, yeah, doesn't really bother us. Let me just say started. this: I could accept this if the AFL came out and Gil Gil McLaughlin, the AFL, came out and said, "Look, we feel that the, our AFL fans want it all. To, we, they all want it to stay as a as a day game. We're keeping it as a day game. That makes sense. But the fact that he's come out and said." In time, it's going to be at night. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to be down the track. What's the hold-up? I don't get what we're waiting for. The, the, no, no matter what, people are going to whinge about the time slot, whether it happens in 2019, 2020, or 2030. Whenever they change it, people are going to whinge about it for, for 12 months. I can tell you now, as a journalist, I'd much rather wrap up any writing I need to do by 10, 11 p.m. instead of 4, 5 a.m. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's but- so true. <laughs> True, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> uh, but honestly, it, it makes sense. Look, I, I cover a lot of Formula One, and the halo springs to mind a lot. You know, the, the halo they introduced to, for driver head protection. When they introduced that at the start of 2018, there was uproar. No one could believe that they had put this on the car. It looked horrific. They thought it was going to kill Formula One. 12 months on, no one even talks about it. People don't like change. People don't like change. People will get used to it. Not a bad rant from you first up, Jake. Uh, we'll take that. Thank you very much. Let's, uh, let's move on. And the three votes goes to... Neil, I'm going to throw this over to you to introduce our next segment called Three Votes. Which is named after your good self, uh, Matt, um, to explain to people why why your nickname is now Three Votes. Uh, it was after a particularly good shift you did at the office, and I think you signed off by saying I was best on ground today. And oh, I didn't know <laughs> such thing. <laughs> and the moniker Three Votes has stuck, and this is your opportunity to, to shine a light on the positive side of football. What's caught your eye? 
Um, I'm actually similar to Jake in a way. I'm, I'm going to give my three votes to the AFL this week. I think much like a tennis player sort of forlornly applauding an opponent's excellent winner down the line, you can't help but admire just how well the AFL dominates the 24-hour news cycle. Um, you'll notice that this and last week, the AFL, uh, as Jake alluded to, sprang forth with uh, ideas about changing the start time of the grand final, whether we should have it at twilight or night time. And after all the fanfare, did absolutely nothing except they were on the back page of the paper every day of the week. And this was in the lead-up to the Formula 1s in Melbourne. This was in the lead-up to the NRL's opening round. And yet still, the AFL, through whether that was intentional or not, Had to I'm going to say it's intentional, um, they were on the back page and they were dominating the news cycle. So honestly, good on them. I'll give them the three votes. And I guess the next step is to have back pages during the tennis. Just on the F1, I think it was so important for, for Formula 1, uh, but also for the AFL, to to not have the first weekend of the footy season on Grand Prix week, weekend in Melbourne. I mean, it seems to happen every single year. There's no reason for it. And now they've actually had some a, a breather week in between. The Formula 1 Grand Prix had the highest attendance in years, uh, and I expect to see incredible in t- attendance at these early games, the ones in Melbourne particularly. The, the AFL, they're, they're absolute masters at creating almost a, a 365-day-a-year news cycle. Looking at it now, as a journalist, there seems to be only maybe a month, maybe December, early January, that we don't... There's nothing in the news about footy. Um, they don't so. concede much, do they? They don't. It's the tennis and I think possibly spring racing, spring maybe spring carnival, that they just sort of say, all right, boys, we'll back it off here. Yeah, but, but soon it'll be, it'll be every single week, every single month. So get ready. Brace yourselves for <laughs> content to keep coming at you. Of course, we're here for footytips.com.au. And if you haven't already, it is time to get your tips in before round one. Gentlemen, I know you've all done your tips ahead of time. Uh, so why don't we all go through and give us the one certainty and one upset we expect from the weekend. Jake, would you like to kick us off? Yep. Certainty, uh, Richmond to beat Carlton as much as it pains me to say it. Um, it's actually, if you look at the games, they're, they're nine pretty tough games to pick first up. I know fo- football the last couple of years has been very competitive and close, but the first nine games of the year, it's hard to pick a certainty. Even even this one, Richmond, I can easily see them... Um, you know, not struggling against Carlton, but I, I don't expect them to win comfortably. Much like last year. Yeah. Maybe if the Blues get, you know, on top of the middle. Three goals, three yeah. or four goals. Uh, so that's my certainty. The upset, again, I, I'm going to stick with the Brisbane theme and say Brisbane is, is a nice chance to beat the reigning premiers um, at the Gabba. I, I think you always want to play good teams first up, potentially catch them off guard. And yeah, Brisbane at home. They, they were very strong at home last year. It's very important that they make uh, their home ground uh, the Gabatoire again, I think. You look it's at be a fortress. West, West Coast, um, Adelaide, Geelong, these teams that play at home grounds, uh, they got to make them their own. And they I might have only won five right. games. and lo- they, they were five and 17 last year, but they were very strong at home. So, so but we, no one should forget that. Christian? Um, my certainty is Adelaide. I just think Hawks, too many injuries. Adelaide playing at home, uh, looking for a bounce back season, obviously a down year last year. Uh, as I said earlier, I think they could, uh, most of us put them into the top four and I think they'll be too strong for Hawthorne. My outside, I'm probably surprised they are such an outsider is Geelong on Friday night. I think I'll go into that game probably 50-50 for those two teams. Uh, Geelong's obviously considered the outsider. I think they're a yeah, very good chance to win that one. That's going to be a ripper, that Friday night game. Mm, very good. Neil? Certainly, uh, sorry to my three Carlton supporting friends here. It's an easy one, but I can't see Richmond uh, getting done in the season opener. I think they'll be smarting after the prelim final last year. Uh, whether or not Surely Tom they can plays. wait till the next week to be smarting. <laughs> well, if you look at the second half against Hawthorne in JLT2, I'm a bit worried. <laughs> Uh, so I, th- I can see the Richmond uh, Tigers winning that one very comfortably. And my upset of the round will be Gold Coast to notch a win over the Saints. 
just got to sneak yeah, in suspicion. I, don't I think that. the Saints look a bit vulnerable, and I think they're a big favourite. The Saints, I yeah, they're really heavy favourites. So. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's, I'm I'm on board with that one. I like that. Okay. I think. Um, look, before the Jesse Hogan news broke, I think my certainty was going to be Fremantle over North Melbourne at Frio. Um, I'm, I'm still going to stick with it. I think Frio uh, should win that. I'm, I'm a bit concerned by North's the certainty stats that we though? had before. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, in in Perth, I think they absolutely should be certainties. They should be certainties, but and, are um, they? Well, yeah, that's that's the question, isn't it? Uh, and on my my outside, I'm going to go with you, your one, Jake, and I think that uh, Brisbane are half a chance to knock over the reigning premiers. So let's see how we go. Um, of course, ESPN.com.au is now the home of live footy. We've got uh, live cards on the website from round one. Uh, we're going to wrap it up now, I think. We've just gone a little bit over time. Thank you very much for joining us. Make sure you subscribe, rate us five stars and tell your friends. And, and give us some honest feedback as well. Give we'll, us some honest we will feedback. Listen. Yep, yep. Uh, at ESPN OzNZ on Twitter as well as at Footy Tips on Twitter. Make sure you, you let us know and uh, we'll speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.